The gospel for this day comes from Luke chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I just want to take a moment to acknowledge how when we come here and worship on Sundays at 9.30 because our kids are in Sunday school, you might not know how many kids are tucked away in the corners of this building. And it's wonderful to see all of that and feel all of that energy uh, when we started worship this morning. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All the way through my sabbatical this summer, I thought about what stories I wanted to tell you when I got back. I collected them like little souvenirs, trying to pick moments that seemed sermon-worthy, unexpected places where I felt the presence of God, or how it felt in a great stone sanctuary in England with the pipe organ, or the holiness of the low, misty clouds in the green hills of Scotland, or the perfectly dark sky full of stars at Holden Village. I collected them like little treasures, and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll bring them out one at a time, and won't it be great? And then I read today's gospel and realized that the only story which would help today is the story of the dumbest thing I did while I was gone. It's great. You can always count on the way of Jesus to hand you humility when you need it. So we traveled a fair amount this summer, and travel, travel of any kind, near or far, does, as many of you know, demand a certain level of preparation. The further you go from home, the higher the stakes are, or at least it seems to me. I mean, once you're in London, there's no running home for the six things you left on the kitchen counter. The current state of the pandemic adds another layer of preparation and complexity. So in addition to your passports and electrical outlet converters and snacks and all the charging devices you need, you also have to make sure you have your proof of vaccination and your extra COVID tests just in case, several sets of masks, and a persistent low-grade anxiety that something will go wrong. Don't you pack your anxiety? I take it every time. For the first week of our trip to England and Scotland, we did pretty well. We navigated the tube, as they call the subway, in London, and mostly remembered to look left before crossing the street. Although we are a stiff-necked people, it is hard to do. We did not do well with correctly identifying British coins. But the one time we were supposed to pay to use the restrooms, the kind man in charge of collecting our 50 pence 
had mercy on our ignorance and clear desperation and waved us through. It's okay, he said. We picked up a rental car and managed to drive it. And by we, I mean my husband, that guy, because I had no intention of driving on the opposite side of the road in a stick shift car ever. But we drove it out of London, left a little bit of the clutch in London, and into the countryside. We then spent a few days in St. Ives, Cornwall, in the very southwest corner of England. St. Ives is a pretty small town, but it swells with tourists in the summer. And we went back and forth from the town to our hotel numerous times over the days we were there, in record-breaking heat, mind you, which really has nothing to do with anything except that I'm trying to create excuses for the dumb thing that I'm about to tell you that I did, which was the moment that we were about to leave the hotel for town, maybe for the third time that day, and I realized that I could not find my phone anywhere at all. It was gone. Perhaps Jesus would continue the story this way. What woman, having an iPhone with all of her information, contacts, a fair amount of financial stuff, and a jillion photos, if she loses it, does not nearly burst into tears, all the while flipping over pillows and cushions, emptying her suitcase, crawling under the bed, and searching frantically until she finds it. It's easy to be philosophical about things being lost, about the kind of general idea of losing, until it's you. Until you lose something that makes your heart stop and your stomach churn. Or until you are so lost, you can't even begin to find your way out. Until the world finally seems like it's spun off its axis. There's no more familiar landmarks, nothing you can recognize. Being lost or losing is no small thing. In Jesus' parables, there's no shortcut. There's no find my eye sheep that you can hit and play a sound on your missing animal. There's no GPS in the coin that will at least tell you if you're in the right general area. In a few short words, two tiny parables, Jesus perfectly identifies both the terror of losing and the joy of finding. Both that awful feeling that you get when you realize that someone or something is missing and the physical relief you feel when they return. In between, though, there is a whole world. Now, you might be wondering if I found my phone. I did. More on that later. Looking back, it wasn't actually gone that long. But the panic that it landed on me during the in-between time, during that world between the losing and the finding, was all-consuming. And not just for me, by the way. I've got, we have a human who could, yeah, my spouse, extremely panicked by this. The panic consumed the family, which tells me a few things. One, the thing I lost was valuable. You only put that kind of time and effort of searching into something you are really, really, really missing. It's irritating to lose anything, but it's only the things or the people that you really care about that make the world stop while you're looking. Maybe afterward you look back and feel a little bit embarrassed, feel like you overreacted, but in the moment that's not what you think. 
all sense of perspective is gone. If it's valuable, you will not stop until you find it. Two, I lost my phone, but I also lost kind of a, a sense of myself. I pride myself in not being somebody who loses things, and suddenly I was. Maybe I wasn't as trustworthy as I like to think. It shook my confidence. And you better believe that I triple-checked the location of my phone every 20 minutes for the rest of the trip. I was assisted in this matter by my family, who consistently asked me if I had my phone every 20 minutes for the rest of the trip. Losing things can make you lose yourself, at least a bit. And three, I'm still not totally over it. <laughs> I still check my phone more than I did. I mean, I'm preaching a sermon about it, right? Still find myself panicking more than I should. It's not paralyzing, but it's real. Because losing things, loss, it changes you. And all of this over something that in the end is quite easily replaced. How much more difficult it is, how much more painful and shattering when we lose things that we will not find again. Relationships, health, stability, jobs that got us up out of bed and gave us purpose, communities that connected us to people we love, marriages, churches, a sense of hope for the future, even the world as we knew it. In between the loss of one thing and the finding is this whole world. That's the world of the Old Testament story, by the way, where the people of Israel have lost God, so they think. Moses has gone up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, and he doesn't come back. And so they panic, and they create for themselves a God because it scares them so much to have lost the center of their world. That in-between world is full of anxiety, and anxiety causes us to do a lot of unhealthy things. In that world, we might act out, get irrationally angry, find ourselves yearning for the way things used to be, turn our frustration toward others. Why aren't they looking as hard as we are? Don't they care? Or even toward ourselves. What do we do? Why did we let go? Interestingly, Jesus is telling these parables to people who are not convinced that looking for something you've lost is worth it. He's telling them to people who don't particularly feel lost themselves, to the religious leaders of his day. They are offended that Jesus is spending too much time with lost things and lost people, the sinners and the tax collectors, which is kind of the shorthand for outsiders of the day. And so when Jesus says to them, who among you, if you had a hundred sheep and you lost one, who would not leave the 99 to go after that one who's lost until they find it? Who among you, if you had 10 coins and you lost one, wouldn't turn the house upside down until you finally found it? Who among you would not celebrate the return of this precious one? That's probably not what any of these religious leaders would actually do. Most likely, while Jesus is talking about a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep to go find one, there's a good number of people who think to themselves, 
mean, percentage-wise, 99 is still pretty high. It's kind of irresponsible to leave 99 just to find one. And while Jesus is describing a woman who loses 10% of her coins, finds it, and then throws a party which probably cost all 10 coins put together, at least somebody out there is thinking, that is a colossal waste of time and energy. It's much more efficient to cut your losses and protect what you've got. Let the one sheep go. Build a better fence for the 99. Forget that coin, but put the other nine in the bank where no one can get them. Panic searching and big parties are nonsense. We live in a time of loss. Maybe we always have humanity, but it seems closer to the surface these days. After two plus years, the world as we once knew it before COVID isn't all the way back, and we realize over and over again that going back is not really an option. In between, we have lost a lot of things, people, relationships, patterns that brought us joy. We're living somewhere between realizing that the coin is gone and finding whatever comes next and wondering if this is where we're going to be forever, worried and searching. It's important to say that, to name it, to acknowledge it, to tell the truth, that all we have lost has changed us. It's shifted our perspective. Maybe it's made us wonder if we can trust ourselves and others anymore. And one time-honored way to deal with that is to cut our losses and hang on with every ounce we've got to everything we still have. That one sheep is gone. Let's build a better fence for the 99. The coin won't come back. Protect the nine we still have. We are forgiven if this is our first impulse. But God is rarely content to let us stay with our first impulse. I promised I would tell you more about how I found the phone. It turns out that it fell out of my pocket in a taxi that we had taken back to the hotel. Because St. Ives is a small town, there are two taxis. So when the kind and calm and reassuring hotel receptionist asked which taxi we had taken, and I said, I don't know, the driver was a man. It's not helpful. She smiled and said, oh, that's Craig. Hold on. So she called Craig. But he didn't answer. He was probably driving his taxi. So she called the other taxi, which belongs to Jill. And Jill called Craig. And Craig said, oh, yeah, is it a pink phone? And it is. And lo and behold, the lost was found. Because it never really was lost, was it? Craig had it the whole time. Which Jill found out which the hotel receptionist knew to ask because they knew each other. Because they looked out for each other and all the foolish tourists among them. Because in between the loss and the finding, they chose to build a world in which they knew how to look out for each other. How to ask, 
how to keep looking until what is lost is found, how to trust that none of us are really ever lost from God, and how to celebrate beyond reason, which we did, when the lost is found. So maybe you're feeling lost today. Maybe you're feeling found. Maybe you're somewhere between. Either way, for all of it, know and remember that there is a God who knows and always has exactly where you are, even if you find yourself on the floor of a taxi and rejoices over you. Now it's our turn to take care of each other, to look out for each other in this whole world, and to seek and seek and seek until finally every one of us makes it home.